You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. So hear the word of the Lord. So after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rode back the stone, was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. And the angel told the women, don't be afraid. Because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay him, and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Well, you will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, They ran to tell his disciples the news. And just then Jesus met them and said, greetings. Isn't that funny? You know, isn't that great? Greetings. Uh, They came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for a beautiful morning that we can come together as a church family and shout, celebrate, clap. You are alive. You have risen. And it absolutely changes everything. So Lord, my prayer for us this morning is that you would give us a word that we can leave with that encourages us, that gives us power to live this life that you've given to us over the course of this next week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if this is the case for your home, but in my home, uh, when certain things are empty, it is not good. Amen. Can I get a little bit of amen, right? Uh, so uh, if milk is empty in our home, it is, it is not a happy home when we wake up the next morning. And usually it would require me to take a, a late night trip to Walmart, Right. When the uh, grape jelly is empty in my home, my home is not a happy home. When toasted strudels, amen, I love those toasted strudels, amen, a little slice of heaven, amen. Uh, when those bad boys are empty, it is not a happy home. When Cholula, all right, that hot sauce for my 15-year-old, when that bottle is empty, it is not a happy home. When coffee is empty in my home, and not only is my wife not happy, I'm not happy, all right? Angry dad comes out. When I get in the car and gas is empty, amen? Anybody there? Anybody every once in a while you jump in right real early in the morning and especially if you've got teenage drivers, it's like it just makes you want to cuss. It's like I just want to start off at seven o'clock in the morning laying down a cuss word. So in our home, just like in your home, there are certain things that if they are empty, empty, it is not good. But here's the deal, not today. Today, the truth that we celebrate, the truth that got us up this morning, that we're rolling in here all dressed up and looking dapper, and we do 
uh, look dapper this morning, amen, but is that we are celebrating that the tomb is empty, that Jesus' body has physically raised from the dead. And because this tomb is empty, it changes everything. And we celebrate that and we come with great joy sitting in this truth that he is alive. And so here's all I want to do this morning. I, I love the simplicity of how Matthew records the resurrection. It's just 10 verses. I'm saying like, I love that. There's a, there's a simplicity of that that just draws me in this morning. And I just want to make two kind of observations that I think Matthew's wanting us to see in this passage. And then my prayer is to kind of land the plane and give you a couple thoughts to think on as we leave this morning. The first observation I want you to see that I believe Matthew is doing is this, is that Matthew is declaring the truthfulness of the resurrection. He's not defending it. Not that that's bad or that he doesn't need to do that, but that's not his purpose. His purpose is not to defend the resurrection as if he's trying to build an argument to convince you that what you just read here was true. All Matthew is doing in these 10 verses is declaring to you that the resurrection is true. This is how it really went down on that Sunday, 2,000 years ago. And I'm just going to highlight a few details that show us how Matthew is declaring to us the truthfulness of the resurrection. The first one is this, is no one believed it was going to happen. And I say this every year, I think. I think this is always a point that I make on Easter Sunday because for some reason, I think us modern people, because we're so smart, right? Is that we really think that 2,000 years ago, it was more believable that someone would rise from the dead. Well, I just want to give you a newsflash. No, it's not. It's not. No one believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. How do I know that? Well, why did the two Marys show up at the tomb? Why are they rolling in there that morning? I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not showing up going, maybe, maybe, right? <laughs> I don't know. We're showing up early in the morning because I, maybe, maybe he's alive. No, they're showing up in the morning, as other gospel writers tell us, with spices. Why do they have spices, right? Or essential oils, whatever we want to use there, right? They're bringing something to anoint and prepare the body of Jesus for burial because they didn't have enough time on Friday because the Sabbath was happening. So they're rolling in on that morning expecting to see what? This is not a trick question. A dead body. And it's not just those who show up at the tomb that shows us that. It's also who, who doesn't show up at the tomb. And all of the gospel writers tell us this, not one of the 11 show up at that tomb on that morning. Not one of them. Why is that loud? Because none of them believed that Jesus was gonna rise from the dead, even though, oh my goodness, and we would be just as dumb, amen, right? Even though for three and a half years, Jesus says, hey, look, I'm gonna die. They're gonna crucify me. They're gonna kill me. I'm telling you over and over, but listen to me, on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And it's almost like every time it just blows by them. I mean, even one instance, you know, Jesus tells them this. And here's what they say. Hey, Jesus, you know, I'm thinking that I'm doing a really good job being the disciple. And I'm just wondering, wondering if I can be like next to you in power. 
and the kingdom of God, right? That's what they're just thinking about themselves. He lays down on the, hey, I'm going to die and rise again, right? Over and over. But these guys do not believe it. Not one disciple, not one disciple is going, hey, guys, it's the third day. Maybe. Shouldn't one of us just go see? Not one of them. In fact, they've kind of gone back to their normal life, and even Peter's gone back to fishing. Not a one believed that this was going to happen. No one believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. That's one of the details where Matthew's laying before us and showing us. He's just declaring the truthfulness of the resurrection. The second one is this. The first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were women. And that may not surprise us very much. But if Matthew's trying to argue you to believe that the resurrection was true, if he's trying to convince you of this or trying to defend you of this, then listen, he would leave that little detail out. Because in first century Jewish world, not today, not Affirming this is just what happened in first century Jewish world. Women were not to be trusted. A woman's word was considered untrustworthy and wasn't accepted in the court of law. And so if Matthew just sounds counterintuitive, if I would just say, if you're trying to convince someone in the first century that the resurrection really happened, you would leave out this little bitty detail. But if you're declaring the resurrection truth, then you leave it in because this is what really happened. Jesus showed up first to women and they were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Resurrection? Can't even get my R's out today, right? The resurrection, why? Because that's how it happened. This is how it went down on that Sunday. Matthew is declaring to us the truthfulness of the resurrection. Another little detail is how often Matthew uses the word see or to look. Look what he does here. Notice the, the number of times that he kind of lays this before us, starting in verse one. So after the Sabbath, the first day, the week was dawning. Here comes Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And what to do what? To, to view. There's the first example or to see. Go all the way down to verse five. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said he was. Come and what? Look at that, look at that word. And see the place where he lay them. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee to you will what? Say it out loud. See him. Some four times in these seven verses. And if you go the entire chapter, it's six times that Matthew chooses to use this physical term of looking. Why? Because what is taking place here is something that can be seen by your physical eyes. As one commentator puts it, the repeated emphasis on a real physical scene protects the resurrection experience in this chapter from being understood as dreams or psychological visions or static hallucinations. That's why Matthew's going, I'm, I'm declaring you the truth of the resurrection and I'm, I'm, I'm using this word over and over in this chapter that goes with your physical seeing. I want you to know this is not a dream. This is not a wishful thinking. This is not a hallucination. No, you can see it with your physical eyes. It reminds me of, um, you know, back in the day, believe it or not, if you wanted to play a video game, you had to go to like a convenience store. Amen? Anybody there? 
Am I the only person that knows what I'm talking about here, right? It wasn't in your home, right? It was not in your home. I mean, eventually it got there. I got, eventually we got an Atari, which was, oh my goodness, so archaic looking even today, right? But I used to, you had to go to a, a, a store to play a video, video game. And where, where I lived there in Lebanon Junction, we lived right, uh, the Minute Mart there in Lebanon Junction was right in front of our house. And so, um, unfortunately, my mom and dad would give me lunch money and I would go spend that month, lunch money on playing Pac-Man, right? Remember the day, Pac-Man? Oh, you, I did, learned that pattern and I used to really dominate that game. I'd go there almost every morning, spend all my lunch money. You know, sometimes the workers would be kind to me and say, hey, here's a dollar. I don't want you to starve for lunch. But I would go there and I would play almost every morning. And man, sh- sure enough, there would be plenty of times I'm getting the high score. Loved it. And when you get the high score in there, I don't know if you guys remember this, you got to put your initials in there. Amen, Mike, with me? It's like, it was a big deal. And if you got the high, high score, not just in top 10, your little score is right in the middle, right there. So I'd go home and tell my brother, Brian, hey, man, I got 100,000 points today on Pac-Man. And he would always say, whatever, you're hallucinating, right? <laughs> you are dreaming. And I said, nope, let's go. We're walking to Minute Mart. And when we walked to Minute Mart, I would point my finger and say, see, right? There is the proof. Matthew is declaring the truth of the resurrection by even using this simple little word that means his physical eyes. I want you to see it. Lastly, we see him doing this in this little small detail, but it's one that we need to see is that the tomb is empty. Look what it says there in verse two. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone. Stop right there. Why? Why did the angel roll back the stone? Not to let Jesus out. He was already out. Jesus had already risen. So no longer in the tomb, his body was already gone. The stone was rolled back, not to let Jesus out, but listen to me, but to let us in so that these women can look inside the tomb and see that it is empty. And guess what? To this day, the tomb is still empty. Jesus came out of the tomb without witnesses so that the empty place might be the first sign that he was alive. Look, guys, as simple as Matthew is doing this, he is not putting together some apologetic argument here in these first 10 verses to try to convince you to believe in the resurrection. All he's doing is declaring the truth. Declaring the truth that Jesus is alive. Second big observation from this text. So if it, the truth of the resurrection is true and Jesus and, and Matthew's declaring that truth, and that truth equals great joy. The truth of the resurrection equals great joy. Look what Matthew says here in verse 8. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and what great joy they ran to tell his disciples the news. So did you catch that? What's the response of these two women running away from the empty tomb with fear and great joy? I don't know about you, but maybe you're thinking that those two, like fear can cancel out joy. So how in the world 
can these two emotions be together? It just seems like to me, if, you, if you're joyful, then fear won't be there. Or if you have fear, you won't be very joyful. Why? Well, I would beg, beg to differ here. Have you ever been on a first date, right? Oh my goodness, thank God I'm not in that scene anymore. Praise God, right? But that first date, man, you are trembling with fear. Oh my goodness, am I gonna be able to eat my dinner you know, can I get through an hour of dinner and have a conversation so we can get to the movie and not have to worry about talking, right? You know, that's the reason why we went to a movie. like, we don't have to worry about talking. But man, you both, it's both. You're carrying both of those. You're, you're absolutely afraid. But then at the same time, you're excited. You have joy. Have you ever gone to a job interview, man, where this is like your dream job for you? And you're carrying both of these, right? You're, you're afraid. Well, I blow up. We'll say something stupid. But at the same time, you're extremely excited. Marriage right? Walking that aisle, you, you better not be going down that aisle going, I'm confident I'm going to knock this out of the park, right? This, this is going to be easy, you know? Well, maybe that's what you say day one, but day two, you learn quickly, right? But you're coming in there with fear and, and, and kind of like trepidation, but at the same time, man, great excitement, great joy. Think about when you had your first kid. Oh my goodness, both of those were present. Fear, trepidation, my, you're giving me a kid, God? Are you crazy, right? But great joy. Look, these two women ran away. Another translation says like this, they were afraid, and listen to this, filled, filled with joy. Christianity is a movement of joy. Did you hear that? Christianity is a movement of joy. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is serious about your joy and my joy. Whoever told you that God was a killjoy has never read their Bible. Read your Bibles over and over. You will see that God is serious about your joy. Nearly 400 instances, not four, 400 instances of your joy and commanding you to rejoice. God it's very serious about your joy. So it should not surprise us to see that in all the gospels, joy is the dominant experience surrounding the birth of Jesus. Think about that. When Jesus came from the unborn John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb. And I don't know about you, you don't leap when you're sad. Amen, right? I mean, Unfortunately, man, my Kentucky Wildcats really stunk it up this year. I mean, absolutely horrible. Usually this is a time of the year where we're just so excited and looking forward to it. And I've done a ton of jumping, watching the TV screen, amen, leaping for joy. And I left this morning. I mean, this is all, I got to cut all this out because I got to go quick, the next two services. But I left this morning talking to Kathy. And I remember this a few years ago. This is not in my notes, but just kind of bear with me. I remember this a few years ago. Uh, and some of you remember this too. Wildcats go to the Final Four undefeated. They show up on that Saturday, lay a big goose egg, right? Get beat by Wisconsin. And guess what Sunday was? Easter Sunday. And we had hundreds of people rolling in here depressed. I'm like, guys, it's a basketball game, right? Jesus is alive. That's kind of a big deal. We're all just like, oh, we just can't believe it. Whatever. So here's the point. When you're leaping, right? Man, there's joy. And that's what happens with John the Baptist as he 
is leaping with joy in Elizabeth's room from Jesus' mother when she writes this poem in Luke chapter 2. It's talking about her own rejoicing. The angels show up to the shepherds, and what do they proclaim? What did they say? Good news of what? Of great joy. And if you've been with us and we've traveled through the book of Matthew over the last two and a half years, throughout Matthew, we've seen person after person after person that is filled with a burst of deep joy as they enter into the kingdom of Jesus. And now at the resurrection, what do we see? What should we expect? What experience is going on in those who witness it first? Great joy. Not a little bit of joy. Great joy. Why, Lyle? Why is there great joy? Because they have hope. And there is no greater hope possible than to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Listen to how one writer puts this. The Christian story proclaims that our ultimate hope does not lie in our lifetime. And making life work for us on this side of the grave, we watch and wait for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. God promised to make all things new will not be fulfilled till God breaks into time, bearing eternity in his wake. Christians believe that this cosmic reordering has already begun in the resurrection of Christ Jesus' resurrection is the sole evidence that love triumphs over death, that beauty outlives horror, that the meek will inherit the earth, that those who mourn will be comforted. The reason I can continue watching and waiting even as the world is shrouded in the darkness is because the things I long for are not rooted in wishful thinking or religious ritual, but are as solid as a stone rolled away. I mean, think about this with me, people. Why is it hard to face suffering? Why is it difficulty to face any kind of disability? Why is it hard to sacrifice and live selflessly? Why is it so hard to do the right thing, even if you know it's going to cost you your money or your reputation or maybe even your own life? Why is it so hard for us to face our own death or to face the death of a loved one that we care so much about? I'm not trying to dismiss or downplay the difficulty of any of these situations. I'm just trying to expose an assumption that's in all of us, whether we know it's active or not. And that assumption is this. The reason why these things are so hard to face is that we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. As one writer says, it is easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we will ever have. It is it's as if this body is the only body we will ever have. But if Jesus is risen and Matthew is declaring this truth that he is alive, then your future is much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. This world is not the only world we're going to have. And that means this. If you can't dance, which is me, 
and you long to dance, in the resurrection, you will dance perfectly. Amen? If you can't sing and you long to sing, in the resurrection, you will sing perfectly. If you are lonely, in the resurrection, you will have perfect love. If you are empty, in the resurrection, you will be fully satisfied. If you are done with dealing with the same temptation of sin over and over and over, you're just done. I mean, just I'm just so exhausted with that. In the resurrection, there will no longer be temptation and sin. If you are sad this morning, if you are depressed this morning, if you're dealing with anxiety this morning, and you've had battles and struggles with that for years upon years, here's the hope. In the resurrection, you will never have to deal with that again. And if that is true, guess what that does? It creates great joy. The resurrection joy, this is why those precious ladies left that temple, that tomb, afraid and filled with joy. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, my encouragement for you is not to... uh, not to examine whether I'm joyful or not. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to hear this invitation that you would receive the one whose name is Jesus because that's where your joy is to be rooted. Listen to me, joy is not found by seeking it in and of itself. It's a byproduct of living life with God under his good and beautiful rain that's made available to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do, this resurrection joy is not just something that we experience later, it's something that we begin to experience now. So if you're not a Christian, then my encouragement for you is to receive the invitation. That invitation is this, put your faith, your trust in Jesus. That's where our joy is to be rooted. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then I just want to Land the plane with a few things I want to encourage you with. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you feel like me sometimes on on Easter. Maybe you don't. But sometimes you feel like i got to manufacture something, right? This is supposed to be exciting. And i got to get in there. And all right, i got to be joyful. And and maybe, just as Elliot said earlier today, maybe you're not experiencing that today. Well, here's what I want to say to you. It's okay. It is. It's okay. And what I want to encourage you with is this. Number one, maybe throughout the day and throughout this week that you would sit with the Lord and you would ask the Spirit of God that dwells in you to make this truth about the resurrection more real in your life. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit, to take what is true, and Matthew's declared it to us, this is what's true, and make it real in your life. And as you do that, maybe something else kind of comes to your mind. And that is this, that the pressure is absolutely off. Be reminded because of the finished work of Jesus that he is alive and he paid everything in full, that the pressure is off. I just met with our team uh, this morning just to quickly kind of do a little prayer and encouragement for them. And I just said this, look, we can go up there and lay a big old fat Easter egg, right? We can just go up there and blow it. And here's what we know is true. The pressure is off. The kingdom of God is not going to be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? They blew it on Easter Sunday, right? No, Jesus is going, no, it's been going on for about 2,000 years. You're all right, right? 
I think a lot of us need to sit with that. The pressure's off. And there's something that'll well up in your whole soul, and that's resurrection joy. Or maybe you need to hear this. Your failure, your sin will never have the last word on your life. And that will cultivate resurrection joy in you. Did you see that little detail? I didn't highlight it, but when Jesus told the the women to go back and tell the disciples, what did he call them? Brothers. Just sit with that for a second. Brothers. This group of men who deserted Jesus, who denied Jesus, he calls them brothers. Their failure, their sin does not have the final word on them. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection has the final word over your life. And may God, throughout this day and throughout this week, take that truth and cultivate resurrection joy in you. Let's pray. Father, we just give thanks, Lord. I think sometimes words do not express the the gratitude that we have today, Lord. Man, thank you for the work that you've done for us on this weekend, Lord. Your death is our death, Lord. Your resurrection can be our resurrection. And so, Lord God, by your grace, help us to live in light of this truth. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he he broke it. He said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of him. And then he took a cup of wine like this and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is being being shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of him. And so this is how we do uh, communion here. If you're new with us, we've got five different stations that we've got set up here. And we're just asking you to, to go to one of these stations to maybe stand there just for a minute so the individual at that station can say the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you can take the element back to your seat and in your timing, whenever you want to, you can take uh, the elements there. But if you're not a Christian, then this meal is not for you. Man, we wanna invite you, encourage you to take Christ, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and go to one of these five different stations. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.